back. It's your host, Elgin Daly, back with another episode of The Page Turners. Each season, a text is selected to read. Each episode, we will discuss, unpack, critique, call out, and apply the text to our lives with the intent of changing the current state of predominantly black schools, neighborhoods, black lives, and more black lives. We are currently reading this season, Evicted by Matthew Desmond, uh, award-winning book by Matthew Desmond. Quick summary of the book. In Evicted, Evicted, geez, excuse me. Uh, I might need to get another cup of coffee or 12. In Evicted, Princeton sociologist and MacArthur genius Matthew Desmond follows eight families in Milwaukee as they each struggle to keep a roof over their heads. Held as wrenching and revelatory, Vivid and unsettling, Evicted transforms our understanding of poverty, economic exploitation, while providing fresh ideas for solving one of 21st century's America's most devastating problems. Its unforgettable scenes of hope and loss remind us of the centrality of home without which else is possible. Oh, man. This book has been... eye-opening just not on the profoundly negative effects of capitalism but how devastating poverty is poverty and being poor is incredibly expensive Uh, the cost is tremendous and as I read this book, man, um, as I read this book and I do work in the community and I wish I could say that I am hopeful that change is going to take place, that change is going to happen. Uh, but honestly, family, I, uh, I'm not nearly as hopeful as one who does the kind of work that I do should be. And I I tell you, one of the things that I find incredibly difficult about all this is that um, I wonder how hopeful other people are. When we talk about these issues and we talk about these sort of things, these systemic issues, conversations around hope and, you know, um, solutions and ending typically don't come into play. They typically are not looked at. Typically, and unfortunately, the root causes of these issues are not often discussed or brought into the picture we we don't have those discussions man about how to fix this shit how to stop it but we come up with ideas of of new programs and and as i see these folks man battling just to fucking make it i struggle with not seeing an end to this stuff. Um, I'm just being honest, man. I, I just, 
Uh, I'm being honest of where my location is. In my location, I know you're going to hear the the fact that I communicated that I don't have, uh, I'm not hopeful for an end, but I hope you hear the desperation in my voice for a solution. Um, doing this work, man, it can be, uh, I know people like to say it can be incredibly fulfilling, but what I want people to also uh, state is it's not only incredibly fulfilling but it can be lonely as a motherfucker too man it can be lonely as a motherfucker but nonetheless evicted we are still reading chapter 8 Christmas in room 400 we are going to pick up on page 104 uh and we're going to get started on that right now. Okay. When her turn came, Arlene decided to sit next to Sharina. The two women looked for a moment like old friends or even sisters. <laughs> Jeez. With one reflecting life's favor, Sharina was still stewing over being denied her $5,000 claim when the commissioner, without lifting her eyes from Arlene's file, said, Your landlady is seeking to evict you for unpaid rent. Are you behind on your rent, ma'am? Yes, Arlene replied. With that, she lost the case. The commissioner looked at Sharina and asked, Are you willing to work something out? Christmas. Winter. Milwaukee, poverty. This is what's taking place right here behind the scenes of this particular story. Sharina, the landlord, who has multiple properties across Milwaukee, and Arlene, the tenant. Now, I want you to hear how this begins to shape. The commissioner looked at Sharina, and asked, are you willing to work something out? No, answered Sharina. Because the thing is, she's too far behind. See, I let her slide when her sister passed away or whatever. She didn't pay all her rent that month. And now it's another whole month has passed. Now she owes a total balance of about $870. Now this is just, this is not a story of a tenant just saying fuck the landlord and not paying this is not a tenant who just is on some bullshit and not wanting to do or fulfill her responsibilities and be accountable for the, the contract the lease that she signs Arlene doesn't want to live rent free she's not looking for a fucking handout here her sister passed away or whatever. She didn't pay her rent that much. How could she pay? She's already she's already in poverty. She's already poor. And life happened to her and punched her in the gut and literally took her breath away with the loss of life of her sister. 
So of course she couldn't pay her fucking rent. Okay, okay, the commissioner cut in. She turned to Arlene. So your landlord at this point wants you to move out. Okay. Do you have minor children in the home? Yep. How many? Two. Gramling Perez was one of the commissioners who sometimes subscribed to the court custom of getting tenants two days in a home for each dependent child. I'll be out before the first, Arlene said. New Year's at the latest. But see, that goes into the beginning of a rental period, Sharina said. So you're willing to do a stipulation if she's gone before the first, the commissioner asked? Well, Sharina began, her annoyance no longer even partially concealed. I have people lined up that want to move in on the first. But the commissioner had spotted an opening. She knew Arlene would have to leave, but she was trying to spare her the blemish of an eviction record. She tried again. Would you be willing to offer something in return for her agreement to move out by the 31st voluntarily? What would I be proposing to offer, Sharina asks, to dismiss? But what about the other money she owes? A dismissed eviction judgment meant a dropped money judgment as well. And obtaining money judgments, even against single mothers on welfare, was one of the primary reasons Sharina evicted tenants through the court system. Well, my point is that you maybe give up a couple hundred dollars so you don't lose these tenants who are coming in January. The commissioner knew Sharina could pocket Arlene's security deposit, leaving an unpaid rent balance of around $320 in exchange for an agreement that she won't go after you. Then Arlene interrupted the commissioner. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be in her money, she said. She said it forcefully and looked offended. Arlene had gathered who was making the calls, and it wasn't the white lady with the pearl necklace. Sharina, who had been mulling things over, leaned forward in her chair. I don't want to dismiss anything. I really don't. I mean, I'm tired of losing out on every single. She began slapping the table with each word. Arlene looked at the commissioner. I mean, I'm not trying to stay. I mean, I understand what she's saying. That's her place. I understand, said the commissioner. I'm not trying to be there. I understand. The commissioner shoveled the papers and said nothing. In the pause, Arlene took another tack. She thought of the broken window, the sporadic hot water, the grimy carpet, and said in a dismissive tone, I would say something, but I'm not even going to go there. I'm all right. That was her defense. The commissioner looked at Arlene and said, here's the deal, ma'am. You're getting to move out voluntarily by January 1st. If you don't do that, if you don't move out, then your landlord is entitled to come back here without further notice and she can get a writ of eviction and then the sheriff will come. When Sharina and Arlene walked out of the courthouse, a gentle snow was falling. Sharina had agreed to give Arlene a ride home. Damn. In the car... Sharina paused to rub her neck, and Arlene lowered her forehead into the palm of her hand. Both women had splitting headaches. Sharina attributed hers to how court had gone. She was still fuming that grambling Perez had reduced her money judgment. Arlene's was from hunger. She hadn't eaten all day. I don't want to be putting you and your babies out in the cold, Sharina told Arlene as the car moved slowly through the slushy streets. What? I don't. I don't want to be putting you and your babies out in the cold, 
So don't put them out in the cold. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the easiest response here, family? Don't do it then. She's going to make it seem as if I don't have a choice but to do this. Everybody always has a choice. It's just literally the choice that you choose to make. I wouldn't want anybody to do me like that. Some of them landlords, they get away with murder down here. But there's some like me who get in front of the commissioner and she sets whatever on her mind and that's the way it's going to go. She knows the system is screwed. It's all one-sided. And it's all one-sided tilting towards the tenant who is being evicted in the cold with her kids. <laughs> Arlene stared out the window and watched the snow settle noisily on the black iron lampposts. The ornate dome of the public library, the church of the Geza Gothic Towers. And some of these tenants, Sharina was saying, they nasty as hell. They bring roaches with them. They bring mice with them. And who got to pay for it? Oh, what about Doreen Hickson with her ramen noodles down the sink? And they keep calling me about the sink being stopped up. And I got to call the plumber. Then you pouring grease down the sink from your fried chicken. You pouring the grease down the sink. And I got to get a plumber out again? The car turned down Center Street, passing a church where Arlene sometimes picked up gift baskets at Thanksgiving and Christmas. She had always aspired to have her own ministry like that, to be the one handing out food and clothing. So Arlene, Sharina pulled in front of Arlene's place on 13th Street. If you're ever thinking about becoming a landlord, don't. It's a bad deal. Get the short end of the stick every time. Arlene stepped out of the car and turned back to Sharina. Merry Christmas, she said. That's the end of chapter eight. Part one of the book Evicted by Matthew Desmond. I don't know, man. I, I, I. I'm just thinking about Arlene. I'm thinking about her two kids. I'm thinking about this cycle of poverty that they're going to be in, that they're currently in. I'm thinking about the trauma that they're going to be facing. Thinking about the difficult issues that they're going to be wrestling with throughout life. I'm thinking about the, the ways that it's going to take Arlene to get out of poverty. What so, so what actually has to happen for her not to be in poverty? See, it, there, there's no way for her to to strap her bootstraps up tighter to make sure the laces on her bootstraps are tight enough for her to begin to climb up out of poverty. She don't have no fucking boots. And that's the problem with this bootstrapping ideology is that the, the idea is that if people would just save their money, <laughs> if they would just work harder, if they would just go to school and, and get a good job or, 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 you know, the popular one, if you would just get a trade, <laughs> they just get a trade 
and then everything will be all right. But you're telling people who are already poor to find money to do these things because none of that shit that you, which you folks are suggesting is free. <laughs> none of it's free. It all costs, man. So the, the solutions to these things needs to be a massive, massive wealth redistribution. In an instance of, of, of black folks, reparations. See, I know the idea of canceling student loan debt is a, a huge thing here lately. But how does that help poor people? How does a clearing $50,000 of student loan debt help the poor who ain't never been to fucking school? What would it be if you changed that and flipped it instead of <laughs> canceling $50,000 in debt? Because you're just not telling these companies that they're not going to get their $50,000 that people owe. Somebody is paying that $50,000 to these companies. Best believe that somebody's going to be paying that money. Why not just take that $50,000 and give it to poor folk? Why not just take that $50,000 and give it to the people who have student loan debt? What about those type of things? Those are the types of things that are going to require, are required rather, for people to get out of poverty family. That's it. Nonprofits can't do it. <clears throat> the government is bullshitting on giving folks $1,400 in so-called stimulus. The churches don't have the money to do it. Faith-based organizations don't have the theology to do it. If there's not a massive redistribution of wealth, these problems ain't going to change. So, back to the book. Part 2. Out. Starting with Chapter 9. Order some carryout. Lorraine was up before the sun, dashing cold water on her face. She usually rose before dawn, feeling her best in the morning. The day after her brush with Tobin was different. She had stayed in bed, trying to ignore the situation by burrowing under the covers. She only got up to let Digger out, looking through the cuts in the blinds for Tobin or Larry, before stepping out the back with the leash. Digger was her brother Beaker's dog, a small black mutt. Lorraine had agreed to watch him while Beaker was in the hospital for his heart. Lorraine's trailer was spotless and uncluttered. When a visitor would comment on his cleanliness, she would smile and credit her handheld steamer or share tips, like slipping in an aspirin when washing whites. She had lived in her trailer for about a year and had come to like it, especially in the morning before the gossips began congregating outside. She now had everything just so, 
She had found white serving utensils to match the white cupboards in the kitchen and a small desk for her old computer. None of this made paying Tobin 77% of her income any easier. Yeah, I said 77%. The sun lifted higher and the trailer park began to stir with the sounds of children and car engines. Lorraine studied her phone. She knew that there were two main programs in Milwaukee for people facing evictions. The first was emergency assistance for families at risk of impending homelessness. She could apply for these funds once every year if you were a U.S. citizen, in possession of an eviction notice, or at or below 115% of the poverty level, and could prove with divorce papers, a crime report, a pink slip, or some other documentation that you had experienced a sudden loss of income. But to qualify, you also had to have dependent children in your home. So emergency assistance was out. And that's the issue with a lot of these fucking programs, man. It's 101 different damn stipulations that folks got to jump through. You literally have to jump through fiery hoops. These programs and stipulations are usually based off of who is in the shit the deepest. Who is in it the deepest that can be helped? So you literally, for this emergency pro, emergency assistance program, have to be 115% under the poverty level and can prove a divorce and criminal record and be fired from a job or other documentation of a sudden loss of income. How about the fact that I was born into abstract poverty? Would that be considered a sudden loss of income? But then on top of that, I also got to have dependent children in the home. And I dig that these programs are designed and geared towards helping the worst of the worst. But what if you're not in the worst of the worst position? You just broke as hell because you live in poverty and you can't pay your damn bills. We're... The second program was the Homelessness Prevention Program. Offered through community advocates and mainly federal federally funded. But to qualify for that benefit, you not only had to have experienced a loss of income, you also had to demonstrate that your current income could cover future rents. Plus, you needed landlord buy-in, which Lorraine didn't have. Like emergency assistance, this service was reserved for those who <laughs> were reserved for more, reserved for Reserve more for the unlucky, those who have been laid off or mugged, than the chronically rent burdened. Community Advocates was able to offer this benefit to only 950 families each year. It took Milwaukee less than six weeks to evict that many families. Let me read that again. <laughs> Community Advocates... Sure, they're, they're really great people. I'm sure that the folks that work at Community Advocates are really good people and give a shit about the community and the people. Like everybody else who works in this field, they're handcuffed, they're pissed off, they're frustrated that they can't do more. I dig it. Community Advocates was able to offer this benefit to only 950 families each year. It took Milwaukee less than six weeks to evict that many families. What options does Lorraine have? Let us read. Lorraine dialed a number by heart. Yes, I was wondering. 
I was told that you help people with their rent. Oh, oh, no. Okay. She hung up. Lorraine dialed the Social Development Commission, an anti-poverty organization. They couldn't help. Someone had told her that the YMCA on 27th made emergency loans. She called them. Yes, I was instructed to call you because I was told you could help me with my rent. My rent? Rent? R-E-N-T? Nothing. Lorraine did not dial the number to a tenants union because Milwaukee, like American cities, didn't have one. By mid-morning, Lorraine had dialed all the nonprofit city and state agencies she could think of. None came through. On a lark, she dialed one more number. She lifted the phone and heard the indifferent throb from the speaker. Lorraine shrugged. The line to the Marsha P. Cogs Human Service Center, the welfare building, was busy. The movers started the trucks early in the morning. Diesel engines grumbling as men gathered with cigarettes and mugs of black coffee. The city was soggy with the previous night's rain. Some of the men were young and athletic with pierced ears. Other were barrel-chested and middle-aged, slapping their leather gloves on their jeans. The oldest among them was Tim, lean and sour-faced with reddish-brown skin, stubble, and a fresh pack of Salem's in his front pocket. Almost all the men were black and wore boots and work jackets with the name of their company, Eagle Moving and Storage, and various clever slogans, Movings for the Birds, Service with a Grunt, Order Some Carryouts. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Page Turners Podcast with your boy Elgin Bailey. It is a pleasure and an honor to have you listen. Uh, may the pages you read assist in creating the change we need. Till next time, we out. And for you folks who have been asking for a way to contribute to what I'm building, dollar sign Elgin Bailey. Cash app. Dollar sign Elgin Bailey. Cash app. Until next time, family.